Uh, I am happy today to have the founding pastors of this church. For some of you who don't know Pastor Impagli and his wife, uh, they started this work in 1993, in September of 1993, and I believe it was the 20, oh goodness, third, something right around that day of the month. But it started in a prayer meeting on Tuesday night. And uh, from that, this church has grown out of that. And we are grateful for them. They uh, felt led of the Lord to depart in 2006 and just move on and in ministry. And then they have recently come back to the Midwest. We don't know for how long, uh, but we know this. While they're here, we put them to work. <laughs> and um, we're glad to have them back. And Pastor Impagli is going to come right now and preach the word of the Lord to you. Open your hearts. And let's welcome. Thank you, Pastor Lawrence. It's never work to minister the word of the Lord. It's always a joy. And especially here at Praise Tabernacle, this is home for us. Christy, when you go down later to pray for the persecuted church, please remember Pakistan, uh, a dear pastor who a couple of months ago was surrounded by Muslim fanatics in one of the cities of Pakistan, and he managed to get to the roof of his house. Uh, he was not afraid to preach the gospel, even though he had been threatened and beaten and imprisoned for doing so. And while he was on the roof of the house, you might think this incredible or fictitious, but he had a cell phone. And he called, because he had the number, and I can't go into all the details, the Brooklyn Tabernacle. It was a Tuesday night. They had prayer meeting. And he managed to speak to somebody in the office who knew him and knew of the situation. And he said, I'm on the rooftop. I'm being threatened. You must pray for me. And the phone went dead. So the person who got the call passed the message to the leadership. They went down and stopped the meeting and said, we just got this phone call from Pakistan, this, 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 and that. All of a sudden, a woman comes running down the aisle and said, that's my husband, that's my husband, that's my husband. And I came to America to seek help in prayer more than anything else. And so... God intervened because he called back a couple of hours later and said, we don't know what you people prayed, but God intervened because while it was on the rooftop, the crowd was increasing down below, threatening to come and storm the house and kill me. But all of a sudden, a storm broke out of nowhere, a tremendous storm, and it drenched everybody. The crowd dispersed. The police came, the mayor of the town came and said, this man is not to be bothered anymore. He has to have freedom. And for the past two months, he was able to preach and pray, although a week ago, while he was praying for a neighbor, a group of fanatics came and they killed him. But the word of God has spread and several converts have come to Christ as a result. So please remember to pray for Pakistan. 
Did you ever feel like screaming, God, where are you? When we were children, we all used to play that game, I believe, at one time or another, hide and seek. Come out, come out, wherever you are. And the person who was counting and was it had to try to find where's everybody. They were gone. Many times when the rest of the kids didn't want to play anymore with a particular kid, they would make him it. And then not only would they run and hide, they would just run. And he was left all alone. Do you know that sometimes in life you might just feel like God made you it and ran and never came back? And you might have to say or ask, what in the world does that have to do with Palm Sunday? Everything. We're going to see it in a moment. And I pray that we're going to end the service the way the day began in this church. And I don't mean eating bagels and lox and cake and coffee, but with the praise and the worship that came down from below. should have my wife come up and preach, and I sit down and listen. Would you? She's supposed to obey me, but I guess it doesn't work. Too often... We put God in a box, and we feel he has to work within the confines of that box. He can't step out of it because then it won't be God. My question to us all is, who in the world do we think we are? Before you and I ever came on the scene... God put everything in order and has everything in place by the power of his word. In other words, God didn't need us. Can you imagine if we would have been around when God was planting the garden? of? No, don't put that tree there. It doesn't go with those flowers. Put it over there. What do you mean over there? Those flowers. Come on now. God was right when he created us last so we wouldn't interfere. But still, many times, we try to dictate how God should do things because we think we know better. Or am I the only one? And yet, God in his infinite wisdom and mercy continues to be patient with us, bringing us along because he knows we're made of dust and we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Turn with me, would you please, to the portion of Scripture, perhaps, that will be read in most Christian churches today. I'm taking it from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. <clears throat> I'm sorry I didn't win the mayoral election, even though Sherry did do a good job. But there is something in the works. Two boys from Brooklyn might be running for president and vice president. Mr. Donald Trump, he's a Brooklyn boy, and I got a phone call from his office asking me if I would be president. And I said, only if Sherry runs my campaign. So we're going to turn this country upside down and set it aright within a month. If you believe that, you need to see a shrink tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. After Jesus had said this, he went on 
ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, you got to understand this. This is Jesus' last few days on earth before the crucifixion. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell them, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. Is that a surprise? Well, of course not, because Jesus knew all things. And he knows all things. As they were untying the colt, and how did Jesus know this was going to happen? Its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God. How? In loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. But listen to what they said. This had not been ever said before during Jesus' three and a half years of public ministry. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You did not recognize. We're not going to go into too many of the details concerning this entry but mark this, please. This was not Jesus' first visit to the city of Jerusalem. You read further back in, in the Gospel of John, and you will find that Jesus had been to Jerusalem before, but how many times did Jesus go in unnoticed? Without fanfare, without sending the disciples ahead, hey, prepare the crowd, I'll be there. No. And how many times Jesus would perform a miracle and say, shh, don't say anything to anybody and just slip away. 
quite different of what a lot of people do today. When they do something, they make the whole world know and then say, send me money. Be careful of the religious hucksters. Bring your ties to the storehouse. If you eat at McDonald's, don't pay the bill at Burger King. Your tithes belong in the church where you minister to week after week after week. Nobody on TV is going to come and pray for you. It's your pastor you call. No charge for that. And the pastor didn't tell me to do it. I know how the things work. But we find that Jesus knows all things, knew all things, and knew exactly what the disciples would find because he sent them to find that colt. And how did Jesus know no one had ever ridden on that? Because Jesus knows all things. Something sad takes place. Bunch of the disciples see Jesus coming in like he never entered a city Ever before, it was the first time he ever did it and never did it again, riding on a donkey. And all of a sudden, everybody starts shouting, look who's here, it's the king, the Messiah has. They knew. How did they know? The disciples didn't come and say, okay, folks, within an hour, we got the invited, he's come. He's going to take, he's going to get rid of the Messiah is coming. No. Not even the disciples knew what was going to happen. Other than what Jesus said they were supposed to do. If anybody asks you why are you untying the colt, simply say the Lord needs it. But they didn't know why. But when the colt is brought to Jesus, the disciples put their cloaks on it. He sits on the cloaks and he, he didn't ride in galloping with a garrison and a battalion of soldiers with spears and swords. You see, the Jews were subjugated to the Roman soldiers and to the Roman government, and they were sick and tired of it. They were wondering, when, when, when will our deliverer come? In their mind, in their mind, the Messiah was going to come raging into Jerusalem overthrowing the Caesars and all the governors of Rome, and he was going to set up a new kingdom with a new king and put his people in place. Daily out, Ram in. Daily Ike's out, Ramites in. Same corruption, different name. Now, Jesus did not do what they thought he was supposed to do. He didn't come marching in, take me to the governor's mansion, I'll get rid of the whole lot. That was not his desire. Why? Because it was not the will of God that he set up a kingdom in a city, but rather in the hearts of men. So some who saw this, and how did they know it was? Well, I'll tell you, the only way that I know that they knew was many had heard the teaching in the temple and probably had read the Old Testament prophets, in particular Zechariah in chapter 9 and verse 9, which is the exact thing that took place here. Wait a minute, we've read this, we heard... It's the fulfillment of the word of the Lord. 
He is the Messiah, and they understood and they saw it. I'll tell you one thing. When you see God's Word fulfilled in your life, in your church, in your home, in your town, in your situation, you will burst forth in praise over and over again. This is why you need to know the Word of God and what it says. Not because somebody else tells you it says that. You know it says that on your own. I wouldn't care if Pastor Lawrence announced next week the Apostle Paul will be here to preach. The church would probably be packed and you would need the stadiums to, to bring the crowds together. It would be so huge. But even if Paul came, who wrote a good part of the New Testament, you don't accept what he says without going home and saying, hmm, this is what Paul said. What do the scriptures say? That's what the Bereans did. That's what you do after I speak, after Pastor Lawrence speak, after anybody speak. I wouldn't care if it was Dr. Erwin Lutzer on the radio. You go home and say, now what does the Bible say? That's the one question you must always ask in any Bible study, any prophecy, any teaching. Sounds good, but what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And if you don't know what the Bible says, trust me, dear friend, you will suck in any teaching hook, line, and sinker, and you will have your brain twisted for such a long time, you won't know which end is up or which way is down. But I am convinced with all my heart that those who knew the Scripture saw the fulfillment of it, and they rejoiced, and they shouted, and would not be quiet. And who were the ones who should have known better but apparently didn't? The very teachers who are the blind leading the blind, the Pharisees, the leaders, the religious ones, they didn't want the Messiah to come in. Why? Well, it's simple. He was going to upset their agenda and upset their apple cart. They were treating their people worse than the Romans were treating them. Taxing them. Every time they went to the temple, mm, that's not a good enough sacrifice. We got a good one right here in the back. It's a special today, three for seven dollars. Just buy from here and the blessing will be even greater. Show me in the Bible where God sells blessings and I will change my preaching. You'll search until Jesus comes and I'll never have to change my preaching because God gives freely. God gives freely. By faith, you've been saved. By grace and that not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. God doesn't sell what he sent his son to die for that you might have free. Oh, but the man of God said, if I send in my money, I'll be blessed and healed. Nonsense. That's not scriptural. That's good Christian huckstering. That's all it is. Don't attribute to God what men are trying to twist for their own benefit. But I'll tell you one thing, it's all coming down. It's all coming down. And now we see the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, you, do, do, do you hear them? Aren't you going to correct their language? Listen to what they're saying. That's not right that they call you king. It was right because it was truth. Now many times the truth disturbs. Not only does it bless, it disturbs. It disturbs those who don't believe it and those who don't want to hear it. Amen. That's why they say sometimes the truth hurts. 
Why? Well, because it goes against the grain of what I want it to be. And now we see, wait a minute, this is the word of God being fulfilled. This is what the prophet Zechariah said would happen. And it finally happened and they rejoice. Oh, but you see, God didn't come the way they expected him to come. Which is why I said, does God play hide and seek? Because we pray, we pray, we pray. And here's where we need to be careful. In our minds while we're praying, we figure God is going to come this way. And so we keep praying he's going to come this way, and all of a sudden God comes that way. Like the man walking along a country road one day. To one side there was this mountainside that went up covered with trees and bushes, and to the other side there was what he thought was like a ravine that went down. And as he made the bend on this dirt road out in the country, there was some construction going on, and he, wanting to be careful, didn't want to get too close to the machines that were digging the dirt and whatever it is they were doing. And so he was looking at the machine, went too close to the edge, and huh, slipped over. And as he just went backwards, he said, oh, God, no! And he managed to grab a branch that was sticking out of the side of this cliff. And he yelled up, God, if you're up there, help. He didn't hear a word. He said, God, I said, if you're there, help. All of a sudden, he hears a voice that says, let go, and you'll be all right. And in his mind, there was this big, big ravine that went straight down. Let go, and I'll be all right. God, if that is you, would you speak to me again? I said, let go, and you'll be all right. And the man said, that can't be God. He wouldn't tell me to do a fool thing like that. Is anybody else up there? I want a second opinion. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he feels hands grabbing his feet and pulling him down. He says, God, it's over with. He said, what's your problem, mister? Don't you see we're working here and you're stepping on a ledge that we built so that nobody would fall over? You see, many times we're screaming for God to do one thing when he already has prepared a way out for the same situation. Yeah, but I prayed for God to come in this situation. But since when do you tell God what to do? How many of you have raised children and you know that at a certain age, I mean, it gets younger and younger before it used to be when they're 13 and 14. Now when they're 5 and 6, they tell you how to run the house. Right? That's not how you do it, Ma. You do it this way. I got nine grandkids. Trust me, I know what goes on. And boy, am I happy when they zing it to their parents. Oh, yeah, because, ah, payback time. In fact, my son sent me an email yesterday, Dad, I now know a little bit of what you and Mom went through with me because my two daughters are putting me through it now. And I said, son, it hasn't even begun. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, God, that can't be you. This is true. Many times we don't recognize God because we are not even aware he's there. 
Sometimes I wonder if we know how we're praying. Please, God, come. When did God ever go that we have to say, please, God, come? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Don't allow circumstances to determine your concept of God. Let the word of God determine your concept of God. Where are you, God? If the Lord says, I will never leave you, that means never leave you. Now, it is true. We may not feel he's there, but he's there. You remember the ensemble used to sing at the on time, God? Hey, you remember that one? How many of you remember that one? I don't, but I just remember that. Sounded good. He doesn't come when you want him, but he comes when you need him. It might be the last minute that you think he's showing up, but when you finally arrive, you're saying, it took you all this long to get here. I've been waiting all this time for you. Remember Joseph in prison? Wait a minute. God, didn't you tell me that this was going to happen and that, and this is where I end up in prison? God was there with him, and I'll tell you how we know this, because God was still speaking to him while in prison. Oh, but that's not the place to put a servant of God, says who? God knows what he is doing and why. Joseph could have never have gone straight from his father's house to the throne in Egypt. He couldn't have handled it. But having gone through accusations by Potiphar's wife of trying to rape her and then being falsely accused and put in prison... God had to take him down a few notches because something tells me all the dreams he was having made him a fathead. And now he was ready to be exalted. Do you remember when Babylon took over the Jewish people and brought them into slavery? There was a man by the name of Daniel. He prayed. How many times a day? Three as he faced Jerusalem. He was in touch with God. God was in that room. God was there. But then people didn't like the idea that he was praying and defying the king's edict. Instead of bowing down to the statue, he's still praying to God. He ends up in where? The lion's den. Now, the lions then are not those cozy things you see at the zoo. This was just a hole in the ground where they put these ferocious animals. And that's where he went. He didn't cower in the corner and said, God, what in the world are you doing? Is this where you ducked me? You left me? Where in the world are you? No. He continues to pray and he tells the lions, shut your mouth. I've got to pray. God was there. You might say, how could he have been there? That wasn't a place where God would be, says who? You see how our minds work? It's okay in your bedroom because God is there. Many times we are not even aware God is there. The other day I went out early, buy a few things, and my wife wakes up usually a short time after I wake up and will not leave the bed, the room, until she will have read her Bible. This is... Uh, a practice that even before we were married, my wife always kept. I remember one time I hitchhiked from Buenos Aires to Mar del Plata, which is about 250 miles south, uh, to visit her. We were, you know, dating at the time. And I, I arrived at <coughs> the house about 7 in the morning, 
knocked on the door. Her father came, greeted me kindly, and, and he knew why I was there, but he didn't say anything other than sit in the kitchen and wait because Elizabeth's not coming out until she finishes praying and reading her Bible. And I said to myself, what's wrong with her? Why doesn't she come out? It's me. It's me. She should be here now waiting, greeting me in the doorway with hugs and kisses and wah, wah, wah. But my wife knew what was more important. And since that day, 45, 6, 7 years later, nothing's changed. So I walk where we are right now in my daughter's house. She has like a tri-level. And you come down a few steps from the garage, connects to this little hallway. There's a bathroom and there's the bedroom, and then the door to the rest of the house. So I got a bag in my hand. I walked into the bedroom thinking my wife's in the bathroom or upstairs having coffee. And I put the bag down and I hear a voice. Did you go shopping? You're there? Well, how, who else was talking to me? It was my wife. I was so distracted, I didn't even see her holding her Bible and reading until she said to go shopping. Now you might say, are you that dense? Are you that dumb? You wanna know the truth? <laughs> Talk to her, she'll tell you. <laughs> but before God, I said, oh my goodness, I didn't even see you there. You might say, that doesn't happen. No. The Bible says in Genesis 28, 16, Jacob had had a dream, you remember? He wakes up and he says, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. Yeah. Oh, when I read that, I said, Lord, thank you. I ain't the only one. <laughs> oh, many times we're so convinced God didn't come on time. And he was there all along. But in his mercy, he says, it's okay. Just, just come on, come on. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego... They took a stand for what they knew was right. They would not contaminate themselves with the king's meat nor the king's drink. They refused to obey. They refused to give in. They belonged to Jehovah. They were going to take a stand for what was right. Well, guess what? Here's where you're going to end up without your God. Remember where they ended up? It wasn't in a prayer meeting. It wasn't in church. They were thrown into a fiery furnace that was heated seven times hotter than normal. And it was so hot that when the soldiers opened the doors to throw these men in, they died because of the heat that came out. And all of a sudden, as they were thrown in with their hands bound, everybody's looking, wait a minute, wait a minute. We put in three, we count four. What happened? Before they ever got placed into the furnace, God was there waiting for them. Well, wait a minute. You don't meet God in a furnace. You better. Because many times you'll find yourself in a furnace, in the difficulties of life, in the moments where you wonder, God, how much hotter can it get? Stick around. You'll see. But before, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, before you get into the furnace, God will be there waiting for you. Before you get thrown down into the lions, then God is it. Come on, pal. Come on. I got you. I got you. Just let go. I got you. Paul and Silas thrown into prison for doing what? Preaching the gospel. 
But you're not supposed to get beat and abused and criticized and persecuted for doing God's will. What Bible do you read? In this world, Jesus said, you will have what? Afflictions, problems, difficulty, trials. Yeah, but that's not supposed to happen. It's supposed to be all nice and rosy once you accept Christ as Savior. How true, how true, how true. Not so. But lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. But no, we put God in such a bind sometimes because we're convinced God has to come this way in order for me to understand it's him. God doesn't work for you. No, that's not God, neither is it Paul. So hang up on him. No, 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 no. You simply say, Lord, here I am. However you choose to manifest yourself. I'll tell you one thing that will help create a great atmosphere of the presence of God is what happened downstairs and how we began this morning. Just worship and praise the Lord. Worship and praise the Lord. Yeah, but when the answer comes, then I'll praise. Oh, no, you don't. You praise before the answer comes. That's faith. A number of years ago, we were in a hospital, and there was a little child that was born to us. We had brought her to the doctor for just a pediatric checkup, I think a week after birth, something like that. Doctor opens the door. He was a good Christian man, looks at the baby and says, oh, bring her in right now, ahead of everybody else. Well, that was fine. He said, there's a problem. We didn't see it. He saw it. Right now, hospital. We brought this child to the hospital. The jaundice had gone terribly wrong and high and all the rest that goes with it. They stripped this little child naked, put her under an incubator, the ultraviolet lamp, and we're on the other side of this window looking in. My wife went home and I stayed at the hospital. And every so often they came and pricked the heels of this little baby and drew blood and put it in this machine that span and, and did the spinning, whatever it, I don't know what it is. And it was going up and up. And the nurse said, look, if this hits 20, two things will happen. The child will either die or go into such convulsions, it will be destroyed for life. And we just prayed. It was nighttime by now, and we're up about 15, 16, however they measured it. I ran home to tell my wife what the situation was, and I did something stupid. I got on my knees. My wife was in bed exhausted, and I began to pray, and I held her hand. I said, oh, God, oh, God, if you want to take this child, we'll put her on the altar and sacrifice her to you if this is what you want. I was trying to be spiritual. Who did that with the, with the, with the son? Remember? Abraham, right? Isaac, remember the story? I thought, well, let me be like Abraham. And I'm on one knee and just, I was weeping and praying. And yes, Lord, if you want to, you'll give us the grace. We don't want to lose her. She's, and also my wife said, you know what? Just shut up. God doesn't want her. God wants you. Now, wait, wait a minute. That's not how you talk to the pastor. God doesn't want the child. God wants the father. I had a drop to my face on the floor and repent and understood that wasn't my wife talking to me. That was God. 
speaking. And when I got that all straightened out with the Lord, ran to the hospital, <laughs> said to the nurse, where are we at? She said, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. We're up at 19.5. And they took one more sample. And I said, oh, God, oh, God, please, please, I repent. And the nurse was looking at me like I was an idiot. And she begins to weep, and we begin to pray, and all of a sudden it dropped to 19 and then 18. And she said, listen, I can guarantee you this isn't going up, it's gone down. God spared the baby, and you have her here this morning as your pastor's wife, right there. That was God who came. I didn't know how he was going to do it. But God did it in his own way so that he gets all the honor and all the praise and all the glory. God has to give us grace so that we can look at the word of the Lord and see it fulfilled. And therefore let the word of the Lord form our concept of God who he really is. Don't let circumstances affect you. Let the God you believe in and serve affect your circumstances. I don't know what you've brought to this room. My wife and I have brought much to this room. We have questions. We have requests. We have prayers before the Lord. I don't know what the answers are. You might say, how could it be? After 40-something years of ministry, you should know it all. Let me clue you in. After 40-something years of ministry, I know less now than when I began. But this one thing I do know, he will not fail. He will not fail. He will not fail. I don't understand all that God does. All I know is this, that what he does, he does well. He does well. Oh, so now, are we going to pray a special prayer for your difficulties? Absolutely not. We say, well, how can you be so cruel? No, you're going to do the praying. And we're not going to pray, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. We're going to do what the disciples did who recognized that that is the Messiah. We're going to worship him and praise him. And you might say, what will that do for my problem? Solve it. It will solve it because the highest form of prayer is praise. I look at Choli and I know what she is facing. I wouldn't want to have to face, although we were there. I look at Sherry and I know what she is facing. I look at, at, at some of you others and I know some of the stories. But the answer is the same. We need God to come on the scene. We need God to come on the scene. However he chooses to do it. So, is it a spouse you're praying for? Finances, a better job, healing in your body? A child gone wayward? My goodness, we got PhDs in that. We know all about that. So then, what, 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 what's... What's the answer here? To recognize that God is here. Stand with me and come forward to this altar. Everybody.